Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Yehuda Elimelech Ben Fanny, Bracha Bas Yohevet, Sora Bas Hana, Yohevet Bat Shoshana Rivka, Eliezer Raphael Le Ben Emuna, and also for Chaim Ben Sarah. Please click on the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Top Rebbitzins YouTube page, or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you are the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. I am very happy to have on today's show, Lori Palatnik. Lori is a founding director of Momentum, which was formerly known as JWRP. She is a world-renowned Jewish educator, speaker, writer, and media personality who has lectured all over the world. Lori has authored four books, and the titles of the books are Friday Night and Beyond, Gossip, Remember My Soul, and my personal favorite, Turn Your Husband Into Your Soulmate. In 2014, Lori was named one of the 10 women to watch by Jewish Women International in recognition of her contribution to Jewish women throughout the world. Hadassah named Lori one of the most outstanding Jewish women of our time, and the media outlet Izzy included Lori in its global Jewish 100 list for moving Jewish culture forward. In 2020, Lori was selected to light the diaspora torch at the national ceremony for Israel's 72nd Independence Day. Wow. Wow. You have accomplished so much, Lori. It's so amazing. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do in your own words. Well, I think, you you know, the <laughs> it's a little overwhelming when I hear somebody else describe my life, but my <laughs> life is very full. Thank God. I have, um, I have five kids. I live in Israel. I was originally from Toronto. I met my husband in Israel many years ago, over 30 years ago, I'd say 36 years ago. Could that be? Yeah. So I think like 36 years ago we met. Uh, we had planned to live in Israel, but God had other plans. And we ended up living in Toronto for the first 13 years of our marriage, where I'm originally from. My husband's from Chicago. And we were we built up a community there called the Village Shul. And I became a little, I started teaching and speaking. Then we moved to the States. Um, after the Village Shul took off, we gave it to another rabbi to run. Oops, I apologize. Gave it another rabbi to run. And we... Um, we decided to help other communities. So we moved um, to the United States. And the last 13 years uh, before we moved back to Israel, which we moved back um, about four and a half years ago, the last 13 years we were in the Washington DC area in Rockville, Maryland. So when I moved to the States, so sort of my speaking, you know, part of my life took off. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of rabbis on the speaking circuit. There's not a lot of women. So I was, you know, speaking around the world and I saw that Jewish communities were not going in the right direction. They were, they were, they were getting weaker and weaker. So, and I would get like crazy job offers, you know, I, I'd come home and, at, and say to my husband, so you want to be the chief rabbi of Costa Rica comes with maids. And he's <laughs> Spanish. I'm like, Jacob, you're smart. You can, you know, you can learn comes with maids, a driver, like, you know, come on. So obviously we're not moving to Costa Rica and we're not moving to Johannesburg. Or we're not moving to Atlanta. So what was I going to do? So I gathered seven other women together and we started something called, as you said, the JWRP, the Jewish Women's Renaissance Project, which is now called Momentum. And the idea was to partner with local organizations, which I saw were struggling, and to help them go from good to great. And the platform was by influencing the influencer, which is the, the Jewish mother. And because we found in general in our work in Jewish communal work that a community lives and dies by where the women are at. 
So if you could influence the, the mother, you know, the whole theory of changes, if you inspire a, a woman, you inspire a family. And if you inspire enough families, you inspire a community. And if you can inspire enough communities, you could change the world. And everything's done in partnership. We have over 300 partnering organizations in 34 countries. We partner also with Mizrata Futso, which is the, the Ministry of Diaspora Affairs in Israel. This is all took time. Since 2009, we've brought over 22,000 participants from 34 countries. And, um, and we started a few years ago bringing husbands. So we have, if you think about the word momentum, like there's mom and then there's men, but in the middle is me. So the idea is to empower and inspire and engage the Jewish mother. We have four goals for our, our everything we do has four goals. One is to connect to Jewish values, uh, to engage with Israel, to take responsibility, to take action, and to foster which is unity without uniformity, which is actually a very good segue into our topic today. But so four and a half years ago, my husband and I moved back here. And uh, this is my home in Jerusalem. We live in a neighborhood just outside the old city. It's called Muswara. It's near Mamilla Mall. Uh, and it's a very cool, funky, sort of very eclectic neighborhood. And we love it. And three out of five of our kids live here. And not giving up on the other two, uh, one day, one day, God willing. And uh, you know, I, 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 yeah, as you said, I write books, I speak, uh, but really, uh, my life is very filled with, uh, with, with running momentum. We now have sixty people who work for us full time around the world, and it has been the most. It's really the, I don't know. I, I we feel like we're living the dream here and uh, both in our work and in you know where we are. So we're very, very grateful. Yes, and Momentum is a very special program. I was there in 2015. I was a Momentum participant. So I'm speaking from personal experience. For anybody who ha is listening who hasn't participated in one of these trips, it's really, really a life-changing experience. You should definitely look into it. I'll include a link to Momentum in the podcast description. So if anybody's okay. interested, they can learn Great. more. So just so people should know that it's really are it's really designed for a Jewish mother who has children at home under the age of 18, who is very much disengaged from her Judaism and the Jewish community and Israel. So it's really bringing people who without this are at risk of really falling off the Jewish map. Yes, for sure. Definitely. So today we have a very interesting topic to talk about. We're going to talk about Moshiach. So Moshiach is also known as the Messiah, and he's the long-awaited Jewish leader who will usher in an era of world peace and godly awareness. There is so much to say about this topic, and we're going to have a really deep and engaging conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. So let's start at the beginning. Can you please explain to us about the concept of Moshiach? Who or what is Moshiach? Okay, so first of all, I didn't grow up knowing any of this. Okay, I grew up very disengaged from my Judaism, and... Um, the Messiah was, you know, like JC and like you hear from the Christians and they talk about, you know, him and he died for their sins and he's coming back and that's their concept of the Messiah. And then as I got more Jewishly engaged in, as a young adult, you know, you would hear like, like Mashiach, 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 na, 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 na. And then you'd see the, the, the vans and the, and the blasts and the, and the posters. It was mostly, oh, that must be a Chabad thing. Okay. A Lubavitch thing. But it turns out to be one of the 13 principles of faith is knowing that the ultimately that there will be a Jewish leader who will, like, as you say, usher in a very different time. And so I'm not an expert in this topic, but I did uh, my book called Remember My Soul. I did a lot of um, what research 
on because it really is linked to very much like you know what happens uh in terms of you know how the how the world and end of days and 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 also what happens in the in the world to come and what like it's sort of all linked together so i started learning about it and it was fascinating um so i'm really happy to to talk about it with you but it's Mashiach will be is is a human being. He's he's not coming down in fairy dust. He's going to be born. He's going to grow up. I don't know what school he's going to go to. I'm sure he'll get good grades. And there will be a time where it will be very clear to to all that this is the Messiah and this will be the the leader of the Jewish people. And again, like as you said, we'll usher in a very different time in the world. But the world is the world. It is. Okay. The, okay. There were. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what do you mean by when you say the world is the world it is? So it, it doesn't mean that um, there's, that we're all like flying over to, like we're, we're not like, there, there's there's nothing mystical that's happening. It's very practical. Like the, the Mashiach will be born, he will grow up. We believe, uh, our, our tradition is that he will come from the, from the, the lineage of, of King David, interestingly. Uh, and King David, of course, is descended, you know, from from a convert, and it's like it's very interesting how the whole the whole system works. Um, but it is a it it the, the Messiah like when, when Messiah comes, it says that there will be unbelievable clarity in the world. And one of the it, the Rambam Maimonides sort of sets out like how will we know that he's Messiah? Because there have been false messiahs. So how will we know? So I'll tell you the first thing, and and you, and we really don't have to go on to the to the rest of the list. It's so the Rambam says every, all the Jews will agree that he's the Messiah. So when was the last time we agreed on anything? Okay, because even the false messiahs, <laughs> it was there was a there was a there was a difference of opinion. So first of all, there will be un, so that what does that mean? There'll be unbelievable unity. There'll be unity. It doesn't mean that we're all the same. When we talk about achdut v'lo achidut, because we're going to talk about what's preventing the Messiah from coming. So there'll be, it doesn't mean we're all the same. It doesn't mean we all go to the same synagogue or we all believe in the same things. But what do we agree on? That this is the Messiah. And the, Jew, he, the, the Messiah could come under two conditions. Um, either that the world is, the Jewish people are so far away from being a light unto the nations, that the world is so dark and confused that we're at such conflict and war and, and, and the values of, 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 of family and community are so low that we literally would blow our, ourselves up. If the Messiah doesn't come, then the Messiah has to come. Or that the Jewish people do rise and do become a light unto the nations. And that all all boats will rise, and that there there we are a beacon of values. That it will be a natural step that the Messiah will come. So if it's the first, the former, it's that it will end in a terrible war, like Gog and Magog, like we talk about. You know, like the there'll be an unbelievable terrible war, and ultimately, you know, the 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 Jewish people. The, says half of you uh, Jerusalem will be carried away it's not like the Jews are going to become unscathed in this war but ultimately the Messiah will come and lead the Jewish people back to Israel and all the things that will happen but if it comes in the latter way 
then again, the, everybody will agree that this is the Messiah and, and he will lead and all the Jews will know what they're supposed to be doing and will do it. And all the non-Jews will know what they're supposed to be doing and will do it. There'll be unbelievable clarity. People will know the oneness of God and the Jews will come back to Israel. So you see that there's, in either way, there'll be clarity, but one way is like, it's, you know how you can tell your kids, well, we can do it the hard way or we can do it the easy way, okay? So one way is the hard way and one way is the easy way, but getting to the easy way is the hard way because right now it doesn't look very good. But I am a, I, I'm extremely apocalyptic and extremely optimistic at the same time. I know it sounds like, like they're, they're opposing, but they're not. Like I do believe that because when you see and you talk, you, you think about like how the world is evolving and changing so rapidly that perhaps we are ushering in this time, perhaps that it's, and I believe that during COVID that God kind of fast forwarded history you know, like who would have thought that this, like, what would have happened? Right. Like, really? And there's so many things that, you know, it's the, the we're, we're, we're taught that the world will be upside down. Like, one of the signs of, you know, at the ushering in this time, the world will be upside down. That everything that everybody always thought was right will be thought of as wrong. And everything that everybody thought was wrong will be considered to be right. Yes. So you see how things are, are, are moving in that direction. And it is... So it doesn't look good, but I do believe that that it says uh, that God's salvation could come in the blink of an eye, that your life can change in the blink of an eye, and that things just like COVID shut down the whole world, and that was an example of like overnight how everything can change. So for the bad, but everything can also change for the good. One of the things about COVID, which I felt was exciting, and uh, because every crisis, every challenge has an opportunity was you know because what happened during COVID? like first of all it was pretty impressive god shut down the whole world with a tiny germ yes the whole world it, even in the world wars it wasn't every 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 country and you know being canadian i always think it's funny when americans call their baseball playoffs okay like the world series the world really the world like how many countries are in it like american <laughs> and one canadian team now it's we are the champions of the world but when we talk about COVID, it was the world. It really was. It was the whole world. And God shut down the whole world. And if everybody thought something was going to be a world war or something, it was going to be something nuclear or something like that, with a tiny germ, everybody was put in timeout. Why do we put our kids in timeout? Clearly, their thoughts, their actions were not being at, they were not being at their best. And now you need to think about it. Right. And hopefully, but when you put your kid in timeout, you put them on the stair in timeout. So then like they, let's say they hit one kid with a, their, their brother or sister with a toy truck. So you put them in timeout and then they come out. And what do you say to the kid? Tell your brother, tell your sister, you're sorry. So what do they say? Sorry. Well, that brought tears to my eyes. So obviously sitting on the stairs, you know, did stopped the action, but really they didn't change. Is it going to happen again? It's going to happen again because they weren't really sorry. So many things happened during COVID and there was, it was like, like God like turned on a spotlight in our lives and we, we had to, instead of running and doing, we, I said, I always say that COVID was, was the, was the combination of um, Gilligan's Island meets the Jetsons. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Gilligan's Island, cause we're all shipwrecked. This is where we have to be. And this is who you're going to be with. But it was also the Jetsons. Cause we had like all this technology, you know, and we could see each other. Remember the Jetsons and you call somebody, you saw them. Whoa. Yes. So 
So God, you know, it says, we're taught that, that uh, Hashem sends the refuah before the makkah. Hashem sends the solution even before the challenge. So even before we were all shut down, we have the ability to be connected. But obviously we were not, our thoughts, our actions, we were not being at our best and we had to go into timeout. But if we emerge, and unfortunately what I'm seeing, and even in my own life, well, let's go back to the way it was. Oh, I'm so glad to be normal. If we go back to the way it was, then it was for nothing. It was for right. nothing. Right. So a friend of mine who also thinks like I do, she's also apocalyptic and optimistic at the same time. She said, Lori, like she called me up during COVID. She goes, Lori, what if this is not the makan? What if this is this is the refuah before the makkah? What if whatever it is that we need to change and grow and learn during this time is going to hold us instead and give us the ability to deal with whatever is ahead? Now, it doesn't mean necessarily a world event ahead, but maybe ahead in our own personal lives. OK, like I have people who contacted me during COVID, many, many people who realized one woman said she goes, I realize like. I, I didn't know, but I realized now that we're shut down, my, I knew my husband like drank a little bit too much, but now I realize he's an alcoholic. Like, what do I do? Is my marriage over? I go, no, it's not over. Let's get you some help. But thank God, you know, there's things that we know and see, but we don't want to know. Right. So during COVID, it was right in our face. I had another woman, she called me up. She said, she said, I always thought I had a good relationship with my son, but then he came back from college to like, you know, quarantine with us. My son hates me and I didn't know. Oh my God. And I said, thank God, you know. Okay, so now let's work on this relationship. Like, would it be worse? If we, what would be worse than that is not knowing and going through your life living in illusion. And that's not a life. So we need clarity in our personal lives, in our, in, our, in our work, the Jewish people, in our role, what is our job as the Jewish people? We need clarity and the courage to live that clarity. So this, again, I believe that, that the world, not just through tech, but also through technology, everything's being fast forward. We are connected and, dis and we've never been more connected and more disconnected at the same time. And it is, we're living in very, very interesting, very not boring times, that's for sure. And, um, and I do believe that when I see, again, that if, if the Jewish people can rise and be that light unto the nations, and light unto the nations does not, when we say chosen, we don't mean we're better. It doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that we're better, okay? <laughs> it, it, it says we're stiff-necked, we're stubborn, but it doesn't say we're smarter, it doesn't say we're better. We are driven, and it's in our DNA, like it's really like in our spiritual DNA to be to draw to drive to make the world a better place. We all know it, but it gets mis mis mischanneled, okay, into business or into Hollywood or into into cults or like a disproportionate amount of Jews start you know cults and 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 are arise within it because there is a all of this really our rabbi taught us is a drive for God. It's all a drive for God and meaning and purpose. But if it doesn't go in the right way, it's going to go somewhere. Right. So you see that Jews are driven and Jews succeed and Jews rise and Jews, you know, are, are have a disproportionate amount of Nobel Prizes because we know we're here to make the world a better place. But there's a lot of confusion along the way. So through my work with Momentum and my work in Jewish communal work, I really see that the Jewish people do have an ability to to rise, to to be to rise within their homes, 
to be lead, like like you know some people are leaders and some people are followers well if you're a jewish mother you're a leader like whether you like it or not there are short people in your house who look like you who are looking to you and when you can help them move in the right direction and you bring and infuse your home with jewish values of peace and honesty and and kindness and and a sense of responsibility for not just your life but for the world and you see that if this can happen, this ripple effect, that it can not just affect your home and not just affect even your community, we really can affect the world because that's really what we're supposed to be. We were, we, you know, like you get a job description. If you ever, if you ever got a job and they didn't give you a job description, it usually ends very badly because, you know, mid-year or the end of the year, when they give you a review, you think you're doing a great job. They're like, you're not doing a good job. What? Because there was no job description. So they have a sense of what they wanted you to do. And you have your own sense. You have to have a job description. So the Jewish people, we were given a job description at Har Sinai, at, at Mount Sinai. And that means or Lagoyim, like we are supposed to be a light unto the nations. So we, if the world is a mass and going down, which is what we're describing and what we're seeing, our rabbi told us it's our fault. It's, it's our fault because we're not doing our job. If we really, you know, How do, how do people feel? It doesn't matter, religious or not religious, Jew. How, when you see Bernie Madoff and Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein, you, you know it doesn't re just reflect on them, that it reflects on the Jewish people and ultimately yes. it reflects on God. And, you know, at the end of a, a movie, I always ask people, like at the end of the movie, when you see the movie credits, right? You're reading the movie credits, what are you looking for? The Jewish, Jewish names. names. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're looking for Jewish names. Well, why? And when a Jew wins a Nobel Prize or does something, saves somebody or does something kind, like you're like, yeah, you know, it's right. But then when they're being, they're on the front page of the paper and being led away in handcuffs, you feel ashamed because you know true. it reflects on all of us. We know that. It's totally I true. Don't have to tell you, I don't have to tell you or anybody that Bernie Madoff was Jewish. Everybody knows he was Jewish. Like, like we, and, and we know we have a sense, like, did they, they ever say like, oh, this, 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 um, uh, oh, that, that Presbyterian, you know, businessman, like nobody says that. Okay. <laughs> it's Jews. It's not, they're holding us accountable and we should be held accountable because we're not doing our job. Wow. Oh, that's deep. That's deep. You're right. It touches every single one of us. You're right. We all, we all feel a kinship together because we're really, we're all a family together and that's why. Yep. I feel like kinship. So, um, yeah. So, no, you, we're talking about Mashiach, and I can feel like I know what's going through many people's heads at home when they're listening to this because people have been talking about the coming of Mashiach for generations. And there have been commentators on YouTube that predicted every possible date of Mashiach's arrival. I have a friend, a good friend, who sends me like the. the the rabbis who talk about the Torah codes and Mashiach was supposed to come on Hanukkah. Mashiach was supposed to come on Purim and I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Really, really, I'm waiting. And I'm like, but he's not here. And I always send her a voice message. He's not here. When is he coming? So my question to you are like all those dates that have been predicted, they've come and gone and there's still no Mashiach. So do we really know when Mashiach is actually going to come? And also what's holding him back? Why isn't he here yet? Okay, so the answer to the first question is no, we don't know the time and nobody knows the time. And all of this stuff is, I'm sorry, a little bit ridiculous, okay? <laughs> but the answer to the second question uh, of- um, What's of, holding him back? Of what's holding him back, that, that we can talk to. Okay. Can talk to. <laughs> okay. 
So what's holding him back? So the whole idea is that, you know, like I have to do, I have to tell you like during COVID, the first Pesach, when everything was shut down and it was like, it was just me and my husband, you know, like honeymoon Pesach. And I was really like, I really thought Elijah, you know, Eliyahu was walking in, you know, like it was really because he, because it was just, the whole thing was just like, just, it was the Passover story and everybody has to stay in and what's going to happen. So I got excited and there was sort of a taste of like, wow, again, what, what God did and, and what, what could change. So it's a, cause it says that Eliyahu, Elijah will come and also announce like, okay, like, you know, we're, here we go. Okay. The Messiah is on his way. And the if you rewind of why we're in exile why we're in this mess why we're not in whether it's the garden of eden gun eden why were why the last the, when was the last time the jews were unified and we were supposed to be that light unto the nations and trying to fulfill it was you see we had the beta mikdash we had the we had the temple so but we had two temples and both were destroyed on the same day on tisha b'av the ninth of Av, hundreds of years apart what a coincidence so on Tisha B'Av, so why was the last temple destroyed? The last temple was not, because the whole idea is like, when we talk about the Messiah, Mashiach, so Mashiach will come, he will, one of the signs of the Mashiach, not just that we all agree, is that he will rebuild the third temple. Right. So until the last brick goes into the third temple, it's looking good, okay? But you have to do all of this. So what destroyed it? And, and what do we need to be working on in order to merit the Mashiach and the Messiah and the rebuilding of Third Temple. The rebuilding of the Third Temple is not just like, oh, the dome's not there and now we have a, a nice building and now we have another tourist site for, for Jews to go to. No. The whole idea is that if there is clarity and the Jews know what they're supposed to be doing, the non-Jews know what they're supposed to be doing, and everybody recognizes that God is one, God is one. So that unity, that that the the Beit HaMikdash is is that that home of the presence of the Almighty that we would merit. And it used to be Jews and non-Jews could go to the Beit HaMikdash and offer Thanksgiving offerings and, and sin offerings and, and celebrate. And, and, and that divine presence was there. That's where it was strongest. Right now, all we have is the Kotel, the Western Wall, which was the outer wall, okay, of the retaining wall of the Beit HaMikdash. And, and, it, and it, it was, it was destroyed not because we didn't keep kosher and not because we didn't keep Shabbat, but we understand that it was destroyed because of sinat chinam, senseless hatred between Jews, between Jews. So again, we get divine protection. So yes, there was a war and you have the Babylonians, you have the Romans and, and, and all the things that go on. But in the end, you know, God runs the world and God can protect us and God can, and, and, or divine protection can fall. And it's clear in Tanakh, it's clear in Jewish history that meriting divine protection is hand in hand with being unified, feeling like you were saying, like knowing and not just knowing, but living that we're one family we don't have to be the same uh, and we don't have to vote the same and we don't have to celebrate, you know, things the same, but we're, we're one, we're, we're there for each other. So the, whenever we get into the, the weeks leading into and the days leading to Tisha B'Av, everybody always works on, everybody says we have to work on whatever's preventing us from rebuilding the Beit HaMikdash because this is a, the day that the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. 
So what do people, so what's the opposite? What's the tikkun? What's the rectification of senseless hatred, of sinat chinam? So I believe that people mistakenly say that, oh, we have to work on havat chinam, okay? Senseless love. Now, you're mar- are you married? Yes. Okay. Imagine on your wedding anniversary, your husband turns to you and says, honey, I love you. And you go, really? Why? He goes, no idea. No idea. <laughs> just because. I just love you just because. That doesn't feel good. But if he says, I love you because you're so such a devoted mother, because, because you, you, you care about the Jewish people, because now that feels good. Right. So the opposite, the opposite of sinah, hatred, is love. But the opposite of senseless is not senseless. It's purposeful. So it's not a havat chinam. It's not senseless love. It's a hava bekavana. Oh, it's love with a purpose. Okay. It's to see within each person, even with their mistakes, what it is to love about them. That's what we need to work on. And that's that really is powerful what we're because that's about when we yeah. talk about achdut velo achidut, unity mm-hmm. without uniformity. I don't know about your kids. I have five kids. They are very different in every way. Politically, religiously, geographically, um, um, uh, personalities, okay, gender, they're very different. They love each other. And they have each other's backs. And when we see that as parents, we'll give you the world. There's nothing that gives you more pleasure. But when you see in families, people at each other, and if my kids were like that, that's not why I had you. Somebody said something very profound the other day to me. They said, the longest relationship you'll have in your life is with your siblings. Interesting. Think about it, right? You have your spouse for a certain amount of time, your parents for a certain amount of time, your kids for a certain amount of time. But really, the longest relationship in this world is with your siblings. And you see that in Jewish history, and you see in families, Siblings don't always get along. Look what's going on going on in the royal family right now, okay, in, in England, okay? You have brothers and that you see the pain of when you have jealousy, when you have envy, and when you have pain, and when you have conflict, it's so, it's terrible. Yes. For whom? For the parents. Yes. So Hashem looks down, God looks down and says, really? Really? So where's the Sina? The, where do Jews hate each other? So I, this is my own personal opinion, but I lived and worked in Jewish communal work for over three decades in Canada and United States. Jews don't hate each other in the diaspora. They don't like each other. They'll speak Lush and Hara, gossip about each other. They'll undermine each other. They'll put each other out of business, okay? But they don't hate each other. You can't afford to hate each other. You're the minority as a Jew. So where do Jews hate each other? In Israel. In really? Israel. When, Jew, when Israelis say, I hate them, whether they're talking about a political group or a religious group, it's not an expression. They really hate each other. They really do. Wow. And because they're the majority, okay? It's like, I always say, like, if you want to have a, a, a peaceful family, a fun family Seder, invite somebody from the outside. 
Okay, you have one guest from the outside and everybody's on their best behavior. And but if they're not there, like Uncle Lou is like this and this and this, and what I mean, yeah, when are we eating? Okay, <laughs> so we have one person from the outside. So when you are the when you are in the diaspora, you're surrounded by you're living in a non Jewish world. And you really you can't it's it would be very embarrassing and terrible if they saw Jews like at war with each other. All right. So people, you know, no matter what their feelings are like, and again, they may not like them and may not disagree with them, but they don't hate them. You know, when your kids say like, I hate you, but they don't really hate you. Okay. But unfortunately, in Israel, there's a lot of hatred between Jews. A lot. So Jews hate each other in Israel, not just because they have the luxury of being the majority and to be able to do that. But you know how you say in America, like there are two things that you should never speak to your friends about politics and religion in Israel. That's all you talk about. Okay. It's politics and religion are not separate. They're very intertwined and it creates a very explosive society. And Jews are driven, as we said before, which is a positive that we have, but it can be also a negative because Jews are, Jews are intense, Jews care. That's the positive of it. Yes. But Jews care so much that they are so, they so, they, you know, if you're going to do a, um, I would say if, you, if you're going to do a, a survey uh, in a neighborhood and in, in North America, you're going to do a survey there, uh, should we uh, pave the sidewalks? Okay. Should we repave the sidewalks? So then you get the results back, the city gets the result back. So uh, this percentage say yes, this percentage say no, and this percentage says no opinion. Where are the Jews? No opinion. Jews are either yes or no. They're not in no opinion. You don't think so? <laughs> Jews have opinions. Okay. The positive is that because we care, we have opinions and we're passionate and we're driven. But the negative it can create between each other because mm. my opinion is different than your opinion. So the whole idea, again, it's not, well, once everybody keeps Shabbat or once everybody votes this way, then everything would be fine. No, what, what is the, what, what are we being taught? What is the Talmud saying? What is, what does the Rambam say? What does Maimonides say? What do we see in the world? It's very clear, like the, that it's, it's because we hate each other. So we have to work on loving each other, not making each other the same. Okay, if only you would like, be like me, everything would be fine. No, it's to see, okay, we're different, but what is it, to, what, what, to make the effort to love the person. What is it that that about them that I can love, even if they're making mistakes? I'm not saying they're, oh, everybody's right. If everybody's right, nobody's right, okay? Like, I'm not saying everybody's right, but just because somebody's making a mistake, you know, our rabbi says that the definition of sinat chinam is when you hate somebody because their mistakes are different than yours. Interesting. I would never do that, and I believe you, but you would do something else. Do you hear? Yes. So senseless hatred is when you hate somebody because their mistakes are different than yours. Because everybody makes mistakes. Yes. So I'm going to hate you for yours. It's an interesting perspective. I it's it's fascinating. But I also like really like what you said about purposeful love. You know, that's that's also something that I've never heard of before because it really is 
you know, between people, even if you meet a, a Jew that you've never met before, this is like somebody you've been introduced to, you've never met them before, you know, sometimes right off the bat, when you meet somebody, you don't always like them. But if you stop for a minute, and instead of going the, down the direction, I don't like them, I hate them, whatever, you say, wait a minute, there's something beautiful about each Jew. And you just stop yourself for a minute and you look and you find something. I, I guarantee that everybody could find something that they at least like in the other person. Even if they wouldn't be best friends with them, there's at least one thing that you like in the other person. It could even be their, their their sense of style. It could even be something like that. But even if you look deeper, you can see them on the on the neshama level, on the soul level, that they're a good person, like deep, deep down inside. It just yeah, but takes God is to demanding look. a little bit more than just like. He really wants the love. Yes, <laughs> love. Okay. Love. It's a mitzvah to love your fellow Jew. We have to lorecha kamocha. Okay. It's a mitzvah. It's. It doesn't mean like it's a nice thing to do. It's a commandment and a responsibility. Right. So, so then, for some people, even with our kids, you love your kids, but some are easier to love than others. Yes. Like you have different personalities. They come out differently. Yes. So you feel responsibility because you're the mother. Yes. To love them. So you give to them because giving leads to loving. How do you love anybody? Okay. There's three aspects in order to love. Okay. Number one, love is the emotion that you feel when you focus in on the virtues of another person and you identify them with those virtues. Yes. Okay. So everybody's got virtues, but what we have to do is find them. Right. And identify them with those virtues. Because everybody, if I ask you, if you ask me about my kids, like, Lori, tell me about your kids. Oh, my Shoshan's like this, my Zevi, my Moshi, my bro. I'm not just a bragging Jewish mother. That's how I see them. But who knows their good qualities better than I do? No one. Who knows their challenging qualities better than I do? No one. But I choose to see them and identify them. Even if I'm completely cognizant of their mistakes and their challenges, I, I identify them with their goodness. That's what we're supposed to do with everyone. We feel a responsibility with our kids, but we sometimes don't feel the same responsibility with our spouse, with our neighbor, with our doctor, sure. with our landlord, okay, with, okay, we don't feel that. Yeah, we don't feel that we're supposed to when we are commanded to love every Jew, no matter what, no matter who. So you have to make the effort just like you make the effort with your kids and so you feel the responsibility, but we're supposed to be the, feel the responsibility. Like you said before, we're one family. So we need to feel the responsibility of knowing the person loving like finding what it is even with their mistakes what it is to love about them so uh, we're going to it, we have to rise above even liking them we have to love them so the first way is to focus in on the virtues the second definition of love the first one was a was from our rabbi rabbi noah weinberg and uh, the second definition of love was from is from rabbi noah orlewick rabbi noah rabbi orlewick says that love is what's important to you is important to me What's important to you is important to me. So that means, again, you have to know them. What's important to them? You know, the whole love languages thing? Yes. You know, the five love languages? Yes. So the, the love languages is like, oh, my love language is, you know, uh, my love happens to be um, words of affirmation. Okay. But that doesn't mean that's your language. Your language might be uh, quality time, spending time, or your, your love language might be acts of service. So just because I feel loved when people like if my husband says my, I love when my husband gives gifts or acts of service or all the like all the things are nice. But really, my love language is when he says, Lori, that was great, or what you did or what you said, like that means the world to me. Okay, but that doesn't necessarily mean the world to him or to you, 
because your language might be different. So we are speaking Greek and you're, you only know Italian, okay? So I'm speaking Greek to somebody who's Italian, but I'm like, why don't you feel my love? Like, you don't think I love you? Look what I do for you. But that's not my language. Yeah, you have So very you have to know and make the effort yeah. right but what's important to you is important to me what's your language you might be shocked at what your spouse's language is or what your kid's language is ask them well how what makes you feel loved okay that's number two uh the third one and the third one is um in terms of love is from rabbi Dessler in his work strive for truth that that he asked the philosophical question does lovingly to giving or does givingly to loving i love you so i give to you or the more i give to you the more i love you and the and the answer is the more i give the more i love that's why babies are born helpless in the animal kingdom it's not that way right a deer has a fawn the fawn's a little shaky the nurse is a little goat has a life if human beings are created in a certain way and everything is created for a reason in a certain way so our babies are helpless why so we'll give and we'll give and we'll give and we'll give. And what do you get back for the first few months? Gurgles, burps. <laughs> okay, so obviously you have amnesia. Okay, sleepless nights, throw up down your back, diarrhea down your front. Remember? Okay. I know. Uh, yeah, I but you're right. Yeah, God gives you amnesia, so you'll do it again. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like gurgles and burps, if only if it was that. Okay. <laughs> so why does Asha make it this way that you have to, they're, they're so helpless and you give and give and give and give? Because the more you give, the more you love. So you want to love somebody more? Give to them. So when we're talking about loving people, not just liking them, not just, just, not just putting up with them, okay? Loving them. So all of this takes effort. Yes. To see their virtues. To, to know what their love language is. Like, how, how, like what's, what is important to them? And making that important to you. And being a giver. Whether it's a gift or it's time or it's effort or it's attention that the more you give the more you love and sometimes the person that we're talking about the last thing you want to do is give to them the last thing you want to do is hang out with them but again we feel the responsibility with our children nobody ever calls up jewish family services and says you know what i got to turn this one back in i fell out of love what can i do i fell out of love <laughs> you never fall out of love with your kids how do we fall out of love with our spouse Love is a choice. It's a choice to focus in on their virtues, to, to, to give to them, to, to, under, to know what their goodness is. We, we don't wanna make the effort. We stop choosing. We stop choosing. So we have, to do, we have to look at everybody in our life like that, not just the people who live in our house, but the people who live beside us, <laughs> the people who live, you know, the, who, and who don't necessarily come from the same cultural background as you. Like I'm living in Israel right now. Like, I'm not Israeli. I'm an Israeli citizen, but being Israeli, like I, I'm Canadian. I grew up in Canada. Canadians are sorry for everything. Israelis are sorry for nothing. Okay. Sure. <laughs> like, customer service in America, you begin, the customer's always right. In, a, in Israel, you begin, the customer's never right. Okay. That's how you begin. <laughs> customer service in Israel is like, I unlock the door. Like, what else do you want from me? Okay. Like they're doing you a favor by waiting on you. All right. So it's not, there's nobody's right and nobody's wrong. We're all looking through different glasses. Like this is, this is their, this is how they interact. This is how they, they, they're always yelling at each other. I'm always hearing them yell at each other, but that's the way they talk. They're very loud and they're very intense. So it's really, 
but we look at it like, you know, Canadians, well, we're very polite and we're sorry, but we're very on the surface. Israelis are very earthy, like, you know where they're coming from. Like, there's no, like, shtick, okay? Like, they're very, but Canadians, we would, I, I want the shtick. I don't, want, I don't want to be so earthy. Like, I just want everybody politely being nice, but it's not really real. Whereas it's true, Israelis it's so interesting, yeah. In line, but they literally will send their children to war to protect you. Right. Even if you don't vote the same. Like, they'll give their life. They'll, they'll, they'll put their life on their line for you. So interesting. Wow. You're right. It's all true. It's all true. Um, we have just a few minutes left. And I just want to ask you one last question. I think this is a really powerful one, too. So through your wonderful momentum program, in which I had the privilege of participating in 2015, you inspire so many women to look deeper into themselves and connect with their Jewish roots. And you help re reawaken so many Jewish neshama, so many souls. And momentum is like a spiritual growth explosion. So can you please share with us maybe one or two powerful stories of momentum participants who have truly grown spiritually as a result of participating in the program and how their lives have changed? It's a great question. There's many stories. I could be here forever telling you stories. I'll tell you something that just happened a few nights ago. Right. Okay, fresh, fresh story. Great. My, our son is getting married. And we went to the uh, the place he's getting married at a winery in Israel, and we went to they they want you to come ahead of time for a taste testing, okay. and they they give you all of the different options, and they they actually get to eat them. Okay, we had no idea. It's literally a banquet, and there's other families there that are also going to be getting married in the in the near future, and we get to have a taste testing, and and they choose you know, and I I I told my son right away like what. Like the, he's marrying a girl, her name is Alana, the Kala, the bride. And I said, whatever she wants, I'm in, okay? Because the whole idea is like, uh, you know, happy wife, happy life. I want my son to be happy. How does my son be happy? If, he is, if his if wife is happy. So my job is to make my her happy because if she's happy, he's happy. If he's happy, I'm happy, get it? Okay, yes. so I learned this. <laughs> so I'm like, whatever you want is fine. But we're having fun taste testing. So we go in, but when we first went in, there was a wedding going on because it's like a lot of weddings happen at this winery. And I peek in at the wedding, like, how did they do it? And how would they set it up and everything? And it turns out we know people at the wedding and they start coming up to us. I'm like, what, what's going on? Like, oh, whose wedding is this? Whose wedding is this? The mother of the chatan, of the, of the groom. Her name is Michelle. She came on momentum from South Africa a few years ago. Wow. Went back, made changes in their home. Their son became a lone soldier. The family became very observant. And this is his wedding. Amazing. This is his wedding. So my friend, who was her community leader, who brought her from, you know, uh, from South Africa, who was there, bring, tells me the story, brings me over to her. And Michelle was so touched and excited that I was there and said to me, this night started the day I got on your program. All those so transformative. Wow. But do you see how much God loves me? Like you plant seeds along the way and all of us touch people's lives. Sometimes you don't see the, the, the result. Okay. Sometimes you plant a seed and like just with our kids, you never know what's going to be down the road. You're, you're not going to be in this world anymore. God gave me the pleasure of seeing the result. And this woman at the height of her simcha is telling me that momentum and the effort that we're all making 
led to this night for her. So, so many times people come up to me either on the trip because they sign up for a one-year journey. It's the eight days in Israel and then a one-year follow-up back in their home community. We call it the year-long journey. And many times, whether it's just on the trip itself or afterwards, when I see them, when I travel or when they contact me, that it saved my marriage or my, it healed this relationship or now we are, we joined a synagogue, or I put my kids from public school to a Jewish school. Countless, countless, countless stories I could tell you. And I always say, when people share this, I tell them, it was worth it just for you. Because we work so hard, we have to raise so much money and we, but it was worth it just for them. And that's how I felt last week when we went to this taste testing and Michelle's came up to me. It was worth it just for her. That's really amazing. Yeah, I know. I know you make so, such a big impact on so many people. It really, really is wonderful. So that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lori, for joining us on America's Top Rabbitsons. We really, really enjoyed having you here. And may the learning we did today be for Rafuah Shalema 4. Sora Bas Hana, Yohevet, Bashashana Rivka, Bracha Bas Yohevet, Yehuda, Elimelech Ben Fanny, Eliezer Raphael Le Ben Amuna, and also for Haim Ben Sarah. Thank you so, so much. Amen. You're welcome. My pleasure.